All right, man. How are you feeling? I feel okay. You look good. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I think we should have a bit of a disclaimer before we start. What kind of disclaimer? I was going to say this, you know, because I have a lot of opinions. I have opinions about everything. Sure. So I want to say this. If I should say something that offends anyone out there, before they get mad, I'm not a professional articulator of opinions. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a professional attorney. Uh-huh. So when I represent a client, I do so. But then again, it's really his viewpoint that I'm representing. Yeah. So there's no point in getting mad at me. But, you know, if you do get mad, this is my disclaimer, just... Uh, just um, Tweet me. <laughs> just DM yeah, me. Dread, you know, just tweet me. I dread, uh, dread CNC. Uh, and I will be happy to respond because you may persuade me that I was wrong. But don't get mad. That's my disclaimer. <laughs> that's, that's a heck of an intro. Sorry. Sorry to jump in on that. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Well, guys, welcome to another episode. 24, isn't it? Episode 24. Yes, episode 24 of American Yammer. And uh, I am happy to have Dread on the podcast. And I'm happy to be here. Circuit. Circuit. Circuit uh, got in his uh, pilot, maybe? Pilot? Honda pilot? Why would you think I had a pilot? I'm looking at your key. Okay. So that's, there's an inference. Right. All right. What'd uh, you do? What'd no, you do? It's, it's, it's an Accord. Oh, Accord. We were all in one Accord. Ah, very nice. <laughs> so Circuit jumped in his Accord uh, and drove down from Guilford County, uh, North Carolina, this morning down to Bagelberg County. Took him an hour and a half uh, to sit in the Spartan conference room of Redding Jones Law uh, to do this, and I'm greatly honored that he did so. I'm, he's sitting. I'm happy, in, I'm happy to be here. He's today. actually sitting in the coveted Doa seat, where Doa usually sits when we do the 43 foot. So there's a uh, there's a lot of a lot of legacy there. Now it smells like me, Doa. It does, right? <laughs> All right, let's jump in here. Name Arama. Name age F3. Name. Oh, okay, so Dave Redding. Is my hospital name, what my parents named me before they knew my mission. Age right now is 55. That means I avail myself of the majority of senior uh, discounts, I think. Most of them. <laughs> I, can live in a, I can live in an adult community, although without my family. I saw that on the way here. Yeah, right. I figured I'd mention it. I'll yeah, my, my kids, my shorties just love that. You know, when we go to Florida, <laughs> there's like five of them in between where we generally stay in the beach. And uh, for the last 15 years, we've been going down there. And as we've gotten closer to 55, they just, just, just had unceasing joy and when finally when I went over the limit they were like oh you could live there now and I'm like yeah they're chomping at the bit for that joke yeah yeah, they just love it so I finally hit the double nickel so uh, and my F3 name is Dread which was originally Judge Dread which is a shortening of my entire name Dave Redding D. Red and also uh, based on the movie which was remade but I've never seen the second one the original one was Sylvester Stallone you haven't seen the second one? I haven't seen the second one's way better you know, just like I've lost, uh, I don't really watch sports anymore, which is sad. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get back into it. Um, I kind of stopped watching movies. Mm-hmm. And I used to watch movies like crazy. So uh, I'm trying to get back into that too. Hopefully I will. But, you know, um, that was my original name at the Campos, mm-hmm. Judge Dredd. And after about two weeks, they uh, gave up on it because uh, I don't have a judicial temperament. It's clear. I'm a zealous advocate. <laughs> you know, a judge is neutral, and I'm a side picker. Okay, fair enough. Yep. All right, dread, respect. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, now, traditionally, we've always asked, how long have you been in F3 packs? So, yeah, so uh, from the beginning, I suppose, which was 1111, uh, but before that, for about 18 months, I was uh, a member of the predecessor workout, which is called the Campos. Campos it was called then and Campos it was called today. And I'm fairly certain those guys worked out at Freedom Park in Charlotte this morning, and they've been doing it for longer than us, like 17 years or something like that. I, I think they've never missed a Saturday. At least they've had at least one or two guys out there. Wow. And um, often many more guys than that. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, where do you typically post? So it varies over time. Right now, uh, I'm on the IR, so I'm like trying to figure out what I can do. I can ruck, and that's about it. Ruck and do kind of core stuff. But my typical, when I'm feeling well, is Monday I go to Prestige Worldwide, which is uh, a pretty high intensity boot camp here in Charlotte Metro. Mm-hmm. On Tuesdays, I do what we call the Shore Card, which is uh, with my accountability group, my Shield Lock. So we do a workout together, just the four of us, uh, in this building, in the parking garage of this building, which is called the Hot Box. So if you wander around down there on your way out circuit, you'll see there's cinder blocks. And, <laughs> you guys uh, just leave them down there? No, we don't actually. Mm-hmm. Those were placed down there by F3's Grizzly, mm-hmm. who runs a workout here, and uh, he is. Uh, an employee of Choate Construction, which 
is upstairs and on its floor too. So they kind of own the place, and uh, he's a construction guy. So yeah, we leave him there, and uh, I think he's okay for everybody to use him. We use him on the short card. So that's my Tuesday thing. That's kind of an internal thing, and that's just 45 minutes of very intense, uh, painful things, strength things. <laughs> painful strengths. Strength. Like and Wednesday, uh, if healthy, go to Ranger, mm-hmm. which is an independent park in Charlotte. That's another high intensity boot camp. Thursdays, I like to do a long uh, solo runner with a couple of guys, but I'll also do what we call Shark Tank, which is another boot camp. I've heard it's pretty harsh. It's pretty harsh. That's the one Doa has been putting his media millennial toe into uh, recently. <laughs> but you'll run a lot doing that. Mm. Friday, I do the what we call the speed ruck here, mm. which starts right down the street, so that's a four-mile um, ruck with as much weight as you want. Saturday, I've been going since the start of the year to Revolution, which is our first West Side, you know, work out what we call Westeros, mm-hmm. which uh, if you look at Charlotte, Tryon Street, to the east of Tryon Street uh, is where um, the wealth is, I suppose. Mm-hmm. To the west has been the more economically challenged side of town. Sure. Uh, we've been here for a long time and have not succeeded until the last couple of years of crossing over Tryon Street mm-hmm. to the west side. And it happened uh, really on the backs of a couple of guys who had it on their heart to minister to the homeless guys, number one. Mm-hmm. So they started a homeless shelter workout, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. Yeah. That's a Tuesday workout. And then they started a workout with the recovery um, ministry here, um, which is called uh, MIP. So uh, that's how that started. And it naturally flowed to this West, or West Side workout, which is called Revolution, which I think has been going on for about 18 months, but they're getting 18 guys, 19 guys. Consistently? Yeah. And that thing is, you know, some of them are from the from the eastern side mm-hmm. of Tryon Street, um, but they have succeeded, and we have succeeded in, in getting a foothold into that side, and just to be frank about it, we're trying to get black guys to come to work out. Uh, that's, that's the idea. Yeah. And for a long time, an F3 guys have come to me, um, both in Metro and otherwise, and said, you know, we got to reach out to that community. And uh, as you may have heard, I don't like the word reach out. Mm-hmm. I don't even understand what it means. Mm-hmm. I said, you mean contact? You yeah. mean what? We mean headlock those guys. I'm like, all for it. Get on it. Yeah. Um, and guys tried. Um, the reason I think that we found it was unsuccessful is you're forcing them to do two hard things instead of one. So if you say to a guy that lives in your neighborhood, you know, a guy down the street, you say, man, you ought to come to this workout. Well, where is it? Well, it's at Selwyn Elementary, which is a quarter mile away from our house, is where our children go to school. Then that's easy for him. Mm-hmm. The only hard thing is getting up and doing it, right? But if you go to a guy who lives in Westeros and you say, you know, come to this workout, getting up is hard, and then coming all the way over to this side of town to a place he's never been before, that's hard too. Yeah. And uh, to eliminate that second hard thing, we put the... Um, put the workout on their side. And I know for a fact, because I listened to your podcast, that you guys conquered that idea long ago. We did. Uh, and I'm struggling to remember the name of the guy. Yeah, Square. Square. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he described it more or less consistently the way I just did. Um, and uh, so that was the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, I, my observation of it is that it is, in fact, working. Just today, a couple of guys in Metro started another workout at the Salvation Army? Headquarters, right? So, all this is fascinating to me because I never thought mm-hmm. it would work with men who were struggling on the first two uh, steps on Maslow's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're having trouble feeding yourself and getting shelter, well, man, come on, get up at five in the morning and working out. I mean, that's 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 beyond the can of most men. Heck, it's hard enough that it, yeah. it is for guys that have a full belly. But uh, as it's turned out, as I, often is true. I was wrong, couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> those guys um, suffering from those social afflictions such as they are, are just as interested in the health of their physiques as we are. They're just as lonely mm-hmm. as we are. And they're just as interested to unlocking uh, the secrets of the super unknown as we are. Why wouldn't they want to do this? It's just the, f- a f- the simple fact of not really asking them yeah, and making it available to them in the right way, something that would work for them. So, um, that turns has turned into my Saturday workout. Okay. Sunday we have far less here in Metro going on, but one of the things is called Caffeine, which is a five mile run, which launches from the uh, Starbucks 
right down the street here in Coswell Village, uh, which started out was supposed to be a fellowship run, but within six months it was, you know, rolling out at like seven minute miles and mm-hmm. and, sh- and faster. And so I think there's stuff that started slower, mm-hmm. Ron. So there's you would have more choices on Sunday than just that. But that that's if I'm fit, that's usually what I do on Sunday. So if I'm fit. I'm going seven days a week uh, along that schedule. I don't worry about taking a day off because circumstances do that for me. You know, <laughs> nagging injury or something else that I have to do. So yeah. I might go when fit uh, 15, 16, 20 days in a row mm. and then take an invo- involuntary day off, certain sack as I usually yeah, say. Yeah. Um, maybe a heart sack if, you know, the M says I need you to, need you to take a day off. Yeah, uh, I'll do that. Generally, I try to go every day. It's part of my daily routine. There you go. That's awesome. That was a long answer to a short question. No, it's <laughs> gonna run out of time. Man. <laughs> I'm gonna run out of phone space. Yeah, we're gonna time. So. All right, so let's talk about life before F three. Sure. Fat, uh, lonely, and purposelessness. Purposeless. <laughs> solved. Yeah, yes. solved. Yeah. yeah. So you know, uh, I, uh, I. Exited the service, the military service, in 1994. On a day in August, it was a Friday, and I uh, was at Wake Forest Law School the following Monday. So I had two days, I guess, to put my meager possessions uh, into my CJ7 and CJ7. No, I wrangle it and drive them up to to Winston mm-hmm. and started law school, uh, and was completely uh, ill-equipped for both being a student again, since I hadn't written anything longer than a page mm-hmm. in, in nine years in the military. And I've also, I also was so uh, dialed in and connected to the leadership community that was your average Special Forces Battalion in Fort Bragg that I thought it was me. Mm. You know, I thought I was a leader. Like, I, I thought I was a laptop with its own hard drive, and it turned out I was just a monitor. <laughs> and once I was in, unplugged, <laughs> it, the screen went black. You know, so I show up, you know, on August 27th or whatever it was, in 1994, Weighing 175 pounds, being a guy who works out every day, you know, leader among men, blah, blah, blah. By Christmas, I weighed 220 or whatever. I was fat. Wow. Yep. Got completely out of the habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, was doing things I couldn't believe I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, none of which I feel like talking about right now. <laughs> but in that three months, it became clear to me that um, I was not a self-contained leadership unit, mm-hmm. that I was completely dependent on the environment around me. Uh, and the environment around me, uh, I don't know, you're not a lawyer, are you? Mm. So you haven't gone to law school. If you say, what's the opposite of a special forces battalion? Your average law school. And I'm not picking on Wake, they're all the same. Mm-hmm. I'm only thinking this idea, but it's every man for yourself. Mm. You know, I mean, that's it, the idea of leadership. Uh, the first day of class, I mean, professors were late for their own class. Mm. It just blew me away. You know, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, how could you be late? I don't know, I just, it's beyond my. You know, ability to understand how a man could do that. Yeah. Um, very quickly, I learned that my view of the world was completely skewed. I mean, what I, you know, I've been in the army since I was 21. I'd never had a real job other than waiting tables, you know, and delivering newspapers, pumping gas. As a kid, I didn't know what the real world was like. I never had a boss who was a woman. I never had a subordinate who was a woman. I never worked with women. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is you know back in a different era. Yeah. You know, I. I didn't have any understanding whatsoever of how things really worked out here in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was completely ill-equipped for it. So between 1994 and, let's say, 2009 mm-hmm. or so, um, physically my fitness was you know, what we call Pogo 40 in, the, in Free Delete. Yep. I mean, I would get fat in the way I just described around, you know, and usually it was when my pleated 40-inch khakis would, you know, they were coming tight. Once you know my fat pants, and, <laughs> and usually that, and coupled with somebody saying who hadn't seen me in a little while, going, "Wow, you okay?" I'm like, "Wow, you look kind of big." <laughs> you know, a couple things like that, or maybe having them change gates in the airport and not being able to run for a hundred feet. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, something would have some combination of events. Usually three, you know, mm-hmm. would combine to wake me up to the fact that I was a physical mess. You know, mm-hmm. that I'd been eating the world. That I wasn't working out, that you know, I just and usually coupled with that was drinking too much and all sorts of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would go on a draconian um, recovery plan, <laughs> and I would eat fifteen hundred calories a day, and I would start walking because I couldn't run. Maybe about three weeks into that, 
I would be able to run. I'd usually lose five pounds a week. I'd get up early. Other things in my life would improve, and I would go from 220 to 190-ish or so mm-hmm. and um, kind of cast off some of these other demons, at least temporarily. Yep. Um, and as I would get closer to my goal, I would be becoming more and more confident that I was going to stay there this time, that it was some kind of plateau, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get to that place and immediately start working my way back. <laughs> I said, that was my life, you know. Yeah. And this was a life prior to faith. So uh, my faith journey, my belief in, in God, at least in a Christian God, started in 2007. Mm. So, but even, and it was October 31st, 2007, but even between that day and the first time I went to a workout mm. at the campus, it was about two years in between where I was, um, my faith was accelerating, but my so was my waistline. I was still continuing to get fat. <laughs> like it didn't all come together, yeah. you know, uh, for me until I went to that first Campos workout, and then that was like a revelation for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see not only what I that it was impossible for me to continue to consult, continue to accelerate my own faith. And I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but for me, I could not be a, ha- a, a fat Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I couldn't. Yeah, and so. Uh, I had just come off one of those 30 or 40 day draconian, you know, rip jobs. And I was just in shape enough to, to, to hang at the first campus I went to. Yeah. And it's a good thing because it was hard. Mm. And I didn't, I was happy not to injure myself, you know. And uh, of course these guys, I knew a bunch of them and they knew I'd been, you know, a ranger in special forces and I probably would have pushed it too hard mm. if I, if I was out of shape. but. But uh, luckily, I wasn't at that moment. But that was the start of the journey that ultimately led from to my involvement in F three gotcha. that first day, and that was wow. It's almost ten years. Yeah. Now from that day. So one of the things you mentioned there is you mentioned the fat part, and a little you, you alluded a little bit to the purposelessness. Yeah. Talk about the lonely part. Oh, okay. Well, that one's pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have friends. Now I have friends. Yeah. Right. So uh, you know. What we call in uh, free to lead, you know, we call these the uh, you know these small bore friendships, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the first one being the um, the legacy buddy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really didn't have any friends left over from high school. Uh, totally lost touch with all those guys, um, and reconnected with them after. It's funny, in like 2011, reconnected with a couple of them, but so I, I didn't have those guys. College, same. Didn't have any old legacy college buddies. So my legacy buddies were army buddies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're scattered across the world. Yeah. So uh, those were, the, for me, that wasn't very helpful. But if you had asked me, you know, who are your who are your really good friends, I would have named those guys. They came to my wedding, you know, you know, but I didn't see them <laughs> for years before that or years after. You know, mm-hmm. it was weird. Right? Yeah. Then you have what we call the work buddy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the guy from work, and I was in a law firm, so you know, you had those guys, the guy in the office next door. You got to eat lunch with somebody, you know, you got to play golf with somebody. But you know, if you change law firms, you just change friends, right? Yeah. There's no point not to. And finally, you know, the mandate, which is the the guy who's married to the woman your wife likes. Mm-hmm. So she brings a wolf woman home, and you're expected to play with him, and you do because you got nothing else to do, right? Mm-hmm. So those are those small board friendships that when life starts to sift you get, your life gets sifted and you're banged against the wall the inside of that thing they fall out the bottom pretty quickly man they, they're not gonna, yeah, they're not gonna stick, stick with it ain't sticky right so I had a few of those mm-hmm. and um, they weren't sticky mm-hmm. and so I would say I would say in 2007 right up to the ramp of my surrender uh, to faith um, I was more or less friendless in the way we would say it now. Mm-hmm. We would view it now. In the, you know, in the moment, I would say, "Sure, that guy's my friend. I work with him." Or, mm-hmm. "Sure, that guy's my friend." You know, we were in uh, special forces together. Or, that guy's my friend. You know, we were in supper club together. But none of those guys were my friend, capital F, fellow. I guess capital F in the way we talk about it in F three. Yeah. You know, none of those guys would ever have called me before I. You know, when I was on the edge of screwing up, or when I had gained five pounds rather than forty, you know, because they, I had not allowed them to do that. I had not created that bond. Mm-hmm. You know, I had not done the things that we do now, so there would be no reason for them to do it. So, um, you know, in that period of time, tenish or so years ago, 
that's that's who I was in, in the second half. A guy who really had really had no no real friends. And then you, you touched a little bit on some of the, the purposelessness. So you were mentioning that around 2007, right? Yeah. A couple, a couple years before you run up to the campus, right. you'd sort of come to, you'd come to faith. Yeah. Maybe a better way to say it is that it eliminated everything else that wasn't working, you know. It's, <laughs> it's Da Vinci or somebody describes making a statue. It's like, how do you do it? How do you make the statue? Because it take away everything that yeah. is not that thing. Yeah. You know, and that, that's kind of what I had done. Mm-hmm. I tried everything else in a way, you know, so... Uh, I don't think I was ever a true atheist. It's impossible to be an atheist if you jump out of an airplane. You know, I mean, it's like you're gonna pray, <laughs> or at least you're gonna try to strike a, ma- a bargain. Uh-huh. If the shoot opens, I'll be a better guy, kind of thing. Right. So, you know, um, I also I'm not entirely sure. And you know, here's another disclaimer: I ain't no theologian, as people know, uh, or philosopher. But uh, I have my own ideas, I guess. You know, country ideas. I just don't know if there's ever anything as a true atheist because a true atheist wouldn't worship the world. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy now who says, you know, I, I worship, you know, that he wouldn't say it this way, but he's like, the earth is so important, you know, and we've got to take care of the earth and we've got to have less kids, whatever you call that kind of guy. Um, not criticizing him. I would just, I would argue with him if you try to claim he was an atheist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're celebrating something outside of yourself, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, why take care? I mean, what would a true atheist do, right? He would um, get as much stuff as he could, any way he could, and get away with it, stay out of jail, and collect women like beanie babies, right? <laughs> That's what. I, am I wrong about no, that? No, no, right, right. You know that. You know, so I mean, I don't think I. I know I wasn't that guy. I was always governed by mores or you know, true rules that were at least gauzy uh, or smoky imitations of Christianity. You mm-hmm. know. I was like every other guy, you know, if guys, what is a, what a, what does a Christian say? A Christian would say what Christ would say, which is if you, your wife, you know, if you're, if you have lust in your heart for another woman, you know, that's adultery, right? Mm-hmm. That's the Christian viewpoint of, of adultery. Whereas the non-Christian viewpoint or the looky warmy Christian viewpoint would be, it's okay to look at the menu. You just can't order. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I was, that was kind of where I was. Sure. You know, like, if you could get away with it, right? So, I mean, I went to church, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in the pews, I wouldn't let an F-bomb fly, right? Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> but if I'm um, standing outside in the parking lot five minutes later talking to one of my uh, fake friends, you know, yeah, sure I would. Mm. Why not? Because I'm not in the pews. Now, if I did and then I noticed... My fake friend's five-year-old daughter was standing by, and I hadn't seen it. I'd be like, "Ooh, whoops! I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. Now, later on, I questioned all that. Mm-hmm. If it's wrong to say the f-bomb, it's wrong in the pews. It's wrong in the parking lot. It's wrong whether or not that little girl's standing there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just wrong. Yeah. Um, but in that moment of my life, or that long moment of my life, because it's really 15, 16 years, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I. Um, I, I just I had all sorts of crazy rules like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we say in F three? It's like everything is true is simple and hard, and everything is fake is complex and easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a complex and easy way of living because it didn't work. Yeah. You know, because I was missional though. You know, I've been taught this in the military. I wrote my own mission before I, you know, before I came to Christ, and it was the, to uh, accumulate power. No, gain, maintain power, and procreate. Couldn't think of anything else. Like, so when I was 35, if you had said to me, what is a man supposed to do? You know, and I would say, gain and maintain power and procreate. Mm-hmm. If you'd say, what are the restrictions to that? I would say, you know, we have law. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, uh, but that's, that's not it. That, so when I say this, and you're listening to this, if you say that's enough for you, good, you know, good on you, as Doa likes to say. For me, it wasn't enough mm-hmm. because it caused me to really write my own rules mm-hmm. and then revise them downward when my behavior fell below them. Yeah. You know, so there was no standard. There was just what I would write. It's like the scenes in Animal House where they keep rewriting the rules, you know, come up with some pigs are more equal than others, you know, because they just they have to do it that way. Yeah. Which is uh, if you don't have some eternal truths, right? Some things that are un, unbargainable, some things that are un, inalterable by man. Um, if you don't have that, then you're going to be rewriting them yourself. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. That's why I say I had no real purpose. Because 
gaining and maintaining power and procreating, that's not a purpose. <laughs> you know, that's not, that, that won't sustain you. Yeah. That won't guide you. You know, that'll leave you demonic at the end if that's all you do. Because mm -hmm. you can fit in, in almost anything under that rubric. Yeah. So, um, that's what I mean when I say I was purposelessness. I, you know, I was a lawyer. I had children. I had a wife. I kept those relationships, I guess, warm enough that they didn't die. Mm. You know, that's about the best I could say about myself. After the fact, my wife looked at me one day and she said, I had just accepted that this was our life, mm. that it wasn't going to get any better, that this is who you were and the best you could be. Mm. This is one of the hardest things I ever had to hear, even though it was after the fact. And it was after I became hopefully what I am now mm. that she told me that. She didn't tell me in the moment. But that's to hear that your wife expects so little of you because she views you as incapable of providing more. There's hardly a deeper way to become convicted. Although in the moment, had she told me that, I just would have got mad. Yeah. I said, what are you talking about? Who pays the mortgage? Who brings food home? Mm. You know, who gains and maintains power? We have kids, I procreate. <laughs> <laughs> right? I like how you said that. I have procreated. I have procreated. Right. Procreate. So she might have pointed out that she had something to do with that. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, not to dwell on it, but that's who I was. Yeah. Know? No. Uh, not a, uh, and I wasn't clapping to tell you to take. No, it out. no, no. That's that's. that's, that's I wasn't going to take it out. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That's who. That's who I was. Uh, a fat, inconsistently fit. I wasn't always fat. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I was just chunky. You mm -hmm. know, I went from chunky to fat. You know, uh, <laughs> inconsistently fit, essentially friendless, man adrift. The epitome of a sad clown, mm -hmm. who acted like he was happy on the inside, but was tremendously unjoyful acted like it was happening outside tremendously unjoyful on the inside because that's what I thought mm -hmm. society demanded when I saw that scene in the first episode of The Sopranos mm -hmm. you know when yeah. Tony explains that to Dr. Melfi you know and she says how do you reconcile the life of a gangster with the fact that you're a father and a husband like and a you know how do you reconcile those two desperate things yeah. it's too much of course he didn't want to answer that question or didn't even understand he just thought she was asking a different question and says I'm happy. I act happy on the outside. I'm sad on the inside. I'm a sad clown. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched that. And this is years before. Mm -hmm. It stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Like, sad clown. That's what I am. I didn't know there was other guys like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, that a lot of guys, maybe every guy, has had this time in his life where he's asking himself, why, why, why? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. um, it... it that's why the, that painting of dogs playing poker makes us laugh so much. That's what we are, <laughs> right? We want to be like dogs. Yeah. We want to just go do what you know what, what's in our heart as men. That's where that's where our flesh would take us. Yeah. You know, uh, making us put on suits and hats and play by uh, you know play you know by a set of rules. That's that's not what we want to do. Mm. You know that is causes a conflict in our hearts, right? It's, it's what Paul says. It's like I I don't do what I want to do, and I do things that I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. There's a war inside me of the things I know God wants me to do against the things that my flesh are trying to get me to do, and it's never ending. And that, that lack of, that, that feeling that we have, you know, and a Christian would say it's because we're fallen. You know, I, I, I guess when I, before I knew it existed, before I was a Christian, and you know, I guess a secular humanist would say, it's just a, us not measuring up to our highest ideals, mm -hmm. would be the way they would put it. Mm -hmm. Regardless of how you put it, it doesn't really matter. That gap, that inconsistency, that feeling of not doing what you're supposed to be doing is, can be tormenting. Yeah. It can drive you crazy. You know, and, and for me, the military was a way to just forget about it for a while. Mm -hmm. To have some external force say, don't worry about all that. Do this. Mm -hmm. Take this hilltop. You know? and, and I could focus on that hilltop. As long as I was charging up that hilltop, I didn't have to think about it. This, this contradiction in my, the way I felt on the inside and the way I was called to be on the outside. I didn't have to worry about all that. I didn't have to worry about what, what happened in the moment where I shut my eyes for the last time. Was it all going to be over like the end of The Sopranos, just nothingness? Mm -hmm. Or was I going to meet my maker? No. You know, it, even though I didn't know if I really meant, knew if there was a maker or not, I was afraid, you know, and that, that's the what, what, right? What happens when you die and what does that mean about how you live? Because yeah. I knew the way I was living did not meet 
even my childish understandings of the way that Christ would have us live. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I just didn't know or maybe wasn't ready to accept the fact that it was true. When I came to Christ, when all these things went away and dropped away, one of the first realizations I had was, oh my gosh, it's all true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a feeling. And it happened. You know, we're sitting uh, here very, you know, in a... In a in Cotswold Village. I don't know if you've ever been here before. Yeah. This is the lovely suburban sprawl of Cotswold Village. Everything you need is within a walking distance here. Yeah. It's incredible how convenient it is. <laughs> Absolutely everything, right? Yeah. But if you go about a half mile up the corner and this, there's a little four mile loop that when I was fit back in, hashtag fit back in the day, that was my loop. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, but I'd walk it when I, when I was fat and run it when I wasn't. But one morning, right by the Harris Teeter down there, and I'd been reading Mere Christianity and, um, thinking about it and praying about it or whatever didn't really know what I was doing but one morning I just had a feeling like an epiphany mm-hmm. and it wasn't I don't call that my surrender because it was because I didn't but it was it was a realization mm-hmm. it was a dropping away of the scales in my eyes and that what I saw was it was all true mm-hmm. everything that I'd ever kind of learned I grew up in a house without faith, but I went to a Jesuit university. Mm-hmm. I'd learned things. I'd been to church. You know, I, I, I knew enough to know that it, yeah, it was all true. Yeah. That, and that was my first realization. My second realization was I was in trouble. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. that was all true, yeah. I mean, that meant that everything I did, my worldview, such as it was, you know, this creaky, what I like to call a throne made out of toothpicks and Elmer's glue that I sat upon was fake. Mm. And it and it was of no protection or use whatsoever. That's a horrible feeling, man. Yeah. And I you know the that's why I say that uh, you know that, that moment predated what I call my surrender. I spent the first couple of years just crying. Yeah. And just you know, going vacillating back and forth between acknowledging that was true and needing to change and saying, Well, I guess I'm just going to hell. Mm-hmm. That was not a good two years, man. <laughs> um, that was not a good two years or three years. That's a long time. Yeah. And it's been long ago, and since it's all behind me now, I don't dwell on it. But um, that's that's who I was. Now I look at it, and I, was, I realize that this is part of the process of sanctification, that I could be of no use to God as a leader in the way he wanted me to, carrying all that crap around with me, mm-hmm. that he had to clear it out. And it wasn't as simple as Scientology would say, well, if you reach this level, of probably do this and do that. Apologies to you Scientologists, I'm probably abusing the way it works because I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's no steps to it. Mm-hmm. There's no grid, no chart. Yep. You know, there's no points. Mm-hmm. It's not like iron packs. You don't get points, right? <laughs> you might take one step forward, 97 steps back, yeah. or 97 steps forward and, and one step back. Yeah. And every day... It's not up to you, right? Yeah. So that's that's why that period of of going back and forth and crying in my beer is was so difficult. But I've been I've heard other guys tell their stories and, and describe that period. Yep. Having the same thing happen to them. So I think it's a real thing. Mm. It happens to, to guys, particularly uh, sad clowns, to like a really, you know, heavily addicted sad clown like I was full blown sad clown. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you very much for sharing all that. Sure. I mean, I know this this content's been shared before. Yeah. Various resources. Hopefully, I'm consistent. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to be able to hear it, and and to kind of, I guess, have nothing else in this format. So, thank you for sharing that. All right. So let's talk about. I always ask to talk about the first workout. I'll I'll I'll, I'll let it go twofold. Yeah. Tell me about the first workout with okay. camp, with okay. campos, campos. Okay. and and with F three. Okay. There's the twofold. All right. So, um, just step back a little bit. I uh, two months before the first campus I went to, I was sitting at the neighborhood pool, uh, you know, 30, 40 pounds overweight, whatever it was. Kids were running around; they were little, and uh, I was eating neighborhood pool pizza, you know, microwave pizza. And I see, you know, I look down, and I got like this just huge gut hanging over my um, jams or whatever I was wearing. And I see uh, this dude from my neighborhood. Uh, walking around the apron of the pool, talking to people, basically doing a poolside pose down. He was in great shape, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd seen him kind of out of shape before, so I was like, I didn't really know him very well, but I knew him. And, um, he comes around where I am, and I'm like, man, what the heck? How, 
how'd you get such a good shot? What are you doing? And he explains the Campos. And I had heard about it before. And it was one of those moments that I talked about before where kind of like, okay, I got to do something, right? Mm -hmm. It was probably, you know, like August of 2009. So yeah, like, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, so I said to him, man, can, can anybody go to this thing? He said, ah, you got to have a guy bring you out there. You know, and I was like, well, can you bring me out there? And uh, he denies this now because I've told this story before, but I, I'm fairly certain this is what he said. He goes, I'd be happy to, but you need to get in shape first, which burned me, right? Yeah. He says he meant, don't go out there and get hurt. Mm-hmm. I, says, I say he meant, he looked at me and it's like, I look like crap. <laughs> And when he said it, I looked down, and there was a pizza crumb in my belly button, right? You know, and I didn't have I had enough pride to get mad about it, but not enough pride to keep me from eating that crumb. And he walks off, but the next morning, I was on, you know, I call it the Draco, which is, you know, dr- draconian diet, you know, and I was 1,500 doing all these things. So by the time, I, I lost a lot of weight. Like, I couldn't have run 10 feet in that moment by the pool. Mm-hmm. But by the time... You know, mid-October came around, I was, you know, I've been running my usual four-mile loop, you know, eight-minute miles, which, whatever, you know, sufficient to be able to do it. So I call him up and I say, okay, I'm ready to go. He takes me out there. and um, It was very similar. I don't know exactly. I've been at workouts in, in Guilford in Greensboro. So it's very similar to that, mm-hmm. except very little running, kind of moseying, True. no no cadence. They didn't have that. They didn't do the cadence. Mm-hmm. And none of the um, bells and whistles that we have, like the COT or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So they started on time. That was a big thing. They went for an hour. They had a guy from the group do the leading. Uh, there was very little gear, maybe some kettlebells and stuff, but basically, you know, stations, pain stations and stuff. And then at the end, they kind of did a gaggle and they named they named people. Mm-hmm. So they named me Judge Shred that day. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they didn't do a COT, formal COT, and they didn't do any kind of prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first workout I went to. But I knew, like I said, I knew in the moment that I was out there that I'd found what I'd been. I was like, you know, I was like uh, Bono. I, I had found what I look, was looking for. Reverse Bono. <laughs> oh, knob. I had found what I was looking for. So I became, I started going every Sunday, every Saturday, mm-hmm. and then um, made friends. Right? Some of those guys I knew, some were my clients. Mm. But then suddenly these relationships started to burgeon into something different. I don't know why. And I uh, met OBT out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, but I, it's funny because it was dark. It was by that time it was kind of dark. I couldn't really see people in the gloom. You know? mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize who he was. And I was at church one day picking up my daughter from Sunday school. And I was like shaking hands with the teachers like, thanks. And OBT says, Dread. And I was like, oh, I said, OBT. He's my daughter's Sunday school teacher. I didn't realize. Yeah. Isn't funny. Anyway. Um, that was the first Campos workout. Mm-hmm. First F3 workout was 16 or 17 months later, uh, 1111. OPT and I had sent out, I don't know, 90 emails to guys other than Campo, existing Campos guys. Mm-hmm. We had some guys that had gotten, may, missed the cut at Campos, like they had been to Campos, but they missed the cut, like Pebo and uh, Mighty Mighty Albate and a couple other guys who, who joined us. But everybody else was new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we thought we'd get five or six or whatever. That's what we hoped for the first day. And we got 30-some. And, you know, thought, well, that's just a first-week deal. Um, New Year's resolution, such as it is. Mm. Uh, it, we did, um, I remember what we did. We did three quarter-mile loops mm. on the track. One guy threw up. One guy <laughs> splashed me up. Um, <laughs> There's always one. Always one. We did, you know, a couple of sets of push-ups, a couple of sets, you know, some, some Mary. Mm. You know, it was just really easy and basic yeah um but guys were like the next week oh it's so hard or whatever <laughs> and uh i didn't i thought maybe 10 guys would show up the next week but 35 guys showed up again and we never varied mm-hmm. i mean it was right it was a success right out of the shoot yeah so by summertime ish or so we had to bifurcate we ended up trifurcating wow um but in that trifurcation mm-hmm. realized that i had done a really poor job of getting ready to Getting guys ready to lead. Mm-hmm. I think I led, or OBT led the queued the first four or five weeks, five weeks, and then maybe brought had some other guys queue up in a little bit. But we didn't teach them anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first guy we went to and said, "You know, we're we're going to expand. We're starting another one. Um, 
He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. We got too many guys. We got 50 guys out there. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I go, oh, I agree with you 100%. It's all yes, yes, yes. And I said, we've decided you're going to be the cue of that new one. He goes, like, the heck I am. Because <laughs> we hadn't prepared him, right? Yeah. So that's when we started the cue school. Yeah. So that to get to, to, to give them what they need to equip them. Mm-hmm. And the cue school, we developed kind of an, a verbal litany, litany to it. And we did it enough times that... Um, we got asked to go to Atlanta. I think maybe Atlanta was first. Raleigh was second. I can't really remember. Because mm. um, somebody had a brother-in-law. Somebody heard about it. We had no intention. Uh, yeah. We had no intention of leaving Charlotte. Oh. That I recall. Interesting. Maybe. I don't know. It's hard to remember. So if I say something that's different than free to lead, I, I, don't, I don't think we really thought that way. Mm-hmm. But we saw the advantage in doing it. So, you know, we did it. And that's what OBT and I started talking about. Oh, we got to write a book because, you know, we can't. We just can't keep going around giving this explanation. I mean, look, yeah. we're like, uh, what was like Moses in the desert? I mean, we can write things down after all, right? <laughs> and we were blogging. You know, most back in that day, all the black, the backblasts were were very bloggy. Yeah, they, you know, they, they that's what the the naked man moleskin was originally was. You know, kind of thoughts and stuff. <laughs> so we had a lot of material that was starting to develop. It was just stringing it together into a book that held together is what we had to do. Which turned out to be a lot harder than I thought. I thought, ah, just take all the blocks and just put them together. <laughs> no, it had to have a theme. It had to have some sort of outline to it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that took us a couple of years to get that knocked out. But um, that's what took us down that road. And then, you know, the rest of it is just, as Doa likes to say, it's just, just trying to stay 43 feet ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, which some days were 43, some days were three, you know? Yeah. I got gotcha. you. So one question that's not... That I don't really ask most other people on the podcast. It does kind of come up every once in a while, but seeing how you've seen F three grow, yeah, right since you and OBT started, uh-huh. what have you been most surprised about? Uh, the service aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I always thought that was kind of in there, you know. And I think the way we put it in Free to Lead is, you come out fat friendless and you know purpose that's how you are and then you get fit you stop throwing up you start to understand what guys are talking about suddenly you got buddies you know that's great and then naturally your thoughts occur to others you're like oh I want my brother-in-law to know about this or you know I want to help other people you know and that's where all that stuff came from and I so I wasn't surprised by the first few things which were we had a guy one of our guys rock uh, got a brain tumor in the first year and um, he couldn't take care he couldn't mow his lawn couldn't you know, clean his gutters and stuff. And so a bunch of guys in his neighborhood came out one day and they're like, man, can we do these things? Can we get together and do, you know, can we do it? And they're like asking me. I'm like, well, yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, can we can we wear our F3 shirts while we do it? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, you know. And uh, so they did that. And, you know, that became a thing, like this kind of serving other people. And uh, I think the next time, like a thing came up, um, the guys, and I can't remember what it was again, they just came out and told me, we are doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, oh, okay, thanks for telling me. And then the next time they didn't tell me. You know? <laughs> so it went from asking me to telling me to leave me out, yeah. which I took as developing leader, leadership. You yeah. know, that's where the idea of free delete came from. These original guys asked me because they weren't free delete. Mm-hmm. They were shackled. Gotcha. They thought they needed somebody's permission to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need anybody's permission to do the right thing. But how would they know that? You know, what I was taught in the infantry and special forces was uh, you have mission-oriented orders. In other words, you told the, man, the men their mission and the intent for accomplishing it, and then you left it up to them to do it. Mm-hmm. And as long as what they were doing was in furtherance of the mission, they didn't need you to micromanage it. As long as you could come back and explain it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you told me to attack Hilltop 101, but halfway up 101, I looked over at 102 and realized that's where the enemy was. Somebody made a mistake. So I didn't continue attacking 101 because there's nobody up there. <laughs> I went down to the bottom of 101 and went up 102 and attacked there. Yeah. Because my mission was to seize 101 to keep the enemy enemy from having high ground to enfilade us, mm-hmm. you know, shoot down. Mm-hmm. So, um, did I do the right thing? Well, of course you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. That that was the development of the military mindset of mission oriented orders. That's why we the commander's intent. Mm-hmm. And you know you can get on you can get on any military podcast and kind of listen to that kind of stuff. It applies very well to business. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever if you, I don't know, what do you do for a living? I'm an engineer. Engineer. So engineering, I don't know if, what kind of engineer. 
Electrical. Electrical engineer. I don't know if it works this way with you guys, but most of the, the design side of, you know, in the construction industries is pretty well regimented. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a design, right? You, uh, the engineer, the electrical engineering plan has to conform with the architectural plan. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you know, you can't just go off and do what you want to do and say, yeah, I know this room doesn't exist, but I want to ahead and set up an electrical <laughs> plan for it, right? Yeah. You have code you have to follow, right? Um, you have to design it to that code, and then whoever builds it has to conform to that. All those things are, are fine. But how do you lead in an engineering firm, right? Mm -hmm. How do you lead? I mean, those are, the, those are the realities on the ground, everything I just described. But how does the senior engineer get the junior engineer to take an individual initiative and do the right thing without him telling him to do so? How does he get him to anticipate things that are very likely to happen. Mm -hmm. So most engineers will complain about the architect and say, well, they waited to the last second to give me the, you know, the design set mm -hmm. and then demanded my, you know, my work the next day, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there are things you can do in, in anticipation of it, right? Because mm -hmm. there's some things that are always going to be true, right? So teaching your subordinates to do those things, to lead without direct authority, mm -hmm. right? That was the whole idea of sua sponte leadership, gotcha. leading of your own accord. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's a huge military thing. You know, sui sponte leadership. Not so much in the civilian world, right? Yeah. Not so much, right? So it's like a changing mindset. Getting that point across and then seeing it happen has been the most surprising thing to me. I mean, um, look at the iron packs. I don't know if you're following along with that thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know where those guys came up with that idea. I was listening to the, uh, the uh, Pod Packs cast <laughs> C-SPAN. <laughs> Got to come up with a better name for that. <laughs> Let's call it the, the, the C-SPAN. I was listening to that, and like these guys just figured it out for themselves. They knew the mission, mm -hmm. right? They knew the mission plan, you know, serve and grow men's small uh, workout groups, right? They knew that in order to reinvigorate American community leadership. They don't need to know. They didn't need our permission, whoever we are. You know, you didn't ask me if you could do this podcast, that I recall. No. I mean, you, but you knew it. You know, first time I listened to it, I mean, it's perfect. Mm. It's right in line with what we want, want you to do. Mm. I mean, I think the only thing I ever said to you was, you know, like, get the heck out of Guilford County. <laughs> I may have said that to you. Yeah. I said, I definitely said it to, to Funny Bones. Yeah. Uh, Hello Kitty and said, you know, you know, Carpex is great, but you got a great model. Take it out on the road, man. Mm -hmm. You know, if something works locally, take it out there. You've experimented. Now you know. I mean, get out there and do it. Yeah. But, you know, if we ran this organization in a different way, you know, not as a starfish and a spy, a, a starfish organization, but more as a spider, mm -hmm. and you're like, well, I, I would you even have had the idea for the Yammer in the first place anyway? And if you'd had the idea, if you have to, you know, plow through layers of bureaucracy to get to the guy who gets who holds all the power and he's gonna decide whether or not you can do it, then you'll give up long before that. Or go find an organization that doesn't put you doesn't make you jump through all those hoops. Yeah. You know? So that was uh, I guess that was the overarching vision of the executive group was to always inculcate uh, that idea amongst the various leaders that are all over F3 Nation. Mm -hmm. If you think there needs to be uh, a workout in High Point, North Carolina, go plant one. Yeah. You know, if you think that. You know, don't come to us and say, well, can we do it? Because if you feel like you have to ask us, then we've done, we haven't done our job. Yeah. Still, that being said, I'm still shocked at how well and explosive and dynamic guys are in their efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's crazy good. And every time I hear about something, whether it's Speed for Need or, or, or this podcast, I'm like, wow, man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's been the best, the biggest surprise to me uh, of all the things that, uh, that we thought might happen or foresaw or hoped would happen. All right. So let's talk life since F3, which pretty much alluded to in the last yeah. question there, right? right. Um, but specifically talking about the three F pieces, right? So fitness, fellowship, and faith. So obviously, you're not fat anymore. Not right? fat. You're not lonely. Right. You're not purposeless. Right. Right. So that is all true. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I guess you know if my old range was 190, that was you know the bottom. That was my best. Mm -hmm. And my worst was I'll say 220. Although I might I didn't even went past that, you know. My range now is on the is completely below that, mm -hmm. you know. So I might, I'm like at the top out of my range right now. I'm like I was one one eighty five point two this morning, mm -hmm. and that's the top, mm -hmm. or the that's that's my that that was what two twenty was. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's because I'm injured and I'm struggling and I gotta I gotta get my hands around my clean, you know. Mm -hmm. um, this morning I couldn't work out or I can't do the workout of choice, but I still put on a, on a rucksack, threw an extra rock in. Put a GR1 in and went out and you know got four miles. Mm. Um, I never would have done those things before. Mm. 
you know, I, you know, I would have just if I got injured or I got distracted, I just, you know, head, I'm just heading towards fat pants. So for the first half, <laughs> consistency is the main thing. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't have events in my life. You know, when and back in those days, I would run a marathon, train for it. You know, and that was an event. I don't really have those anymore. You know, I try to stay generally prepared to do the various CSAPs that pop up. Mm-hmm. You know, I might ruck a little bit more when I get ready for a grow ruck or I might run a little more for BRR but for the most part you know uh, consistent fitness within a much tighter bandwidth that's first F second F uh, you know I, I've got more friends than I could ever imagine and I mean true friends um, when I turned 40 I think the folks at the law firm I was working at the time gave me a cake probably or something mm-hmm. um, my wife who was not very joyful at the sight of me maybe gave me a watch or something I don't know instead <laughs> she gave me a card I don't know when I turned 50 my wife threw me a surprise birthday party and there was 500 people there wow I didn't know 500 people when I was 40 yeah my, the only thing in between was F3 you know mm-hmm. uh, I, I I you know that's that. I just tell that story because I, I don't know what else to say there's no real yeah. the, the difference is is so stark mm-hmm. um I, um, you know, I've been crying in my beer for the last three, four weeks about having plantar fasciitis and uh, missed a couple shield lock meetings for one reason or another. But really, I was doing an Irish goodbye, even though I didn't realize it. You know, I was mm-hmm. kind of soft walking backwards out of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, those guys just wouldn't let me do it. Mm-hmm. Calling me. Modified the workout so there's zero running. Mm-hmm. Um, just absolutely adamant that I'm there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they took, you know, they stopped me. If, if, if that analogy is I'm driving down a country road and I'm starting to drift towards the shoulder, yeah. they stopped me before I got to the white line. I didn't hit the rumble strip. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas before I'd have been off in the ditch driving around in circles for a while <laughs> before I got my car back on the road. Yeah. So, so that's deep, meaningful friendship, you know, yeah. uh, biblical friendship, you know, like... Um, Ecclesiastes 4.12, one, one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cord is not quickly broken. Yeah. So that, that my life is completely different in that way. Yeah. Um, transparent, much easier mm-hmm. to stay right because I don't have to do it by myself. Yeah. I don't need to do the Draco anymore, you know, because um, I've got just a lot of help doing it. Third F, uh, what I would say also night and day, um, you know, I became a Christian or surrendered Christianity before F3, but I wasn't very good at it, you know, the practice of it. And for me, it's a practice akin to the practice of law, right? So it's something that you're constantly trying to improve and enhance and accelerate. I hope I'm a better lawyer today than I was a year ago. I hope I'm a better Christian today than I was a year ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the depth of my, um, well, I'll just put it along exactly what we were left with as the mission, right? We're supposed to um, go make disciples of all nations, right? We're supposed to baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to teach them to obey everything that Christ commanded us to do. And we're supposed to acknowledge at all times that he will be with us mm-hmm. to the very end of the age, right? That's just Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Um, so I could assess my faith along those lines. Um, am I going forth and seeking to make disciples? I, uh, in a way, in this day, as we're sitting here, it's incomparable to, say, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. 12 years ago, I wouldn't even share my faith. Mm-hmm. All the things I've said today, I wouldn't say a single one of them. Yeah. Um, it's not that I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed about how, how short how short I fell from all. from. But also, I just didn't know how to articulate it. Um, I felt constrained by the culture. Mm-hmm. I would have been cowed by somebody saying, that's stupid, or you're a hater. You know, I've been emboldened by the brotherhood, you know. And to be consistent with what I've always said, if you're listening to this and you're a Jewish guy, take the same thing I just said and apply it to your belief system. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not encouraging you to, to, to take on my belief system. If that's where God leads you, then I'll be, I, you know, I'm called to help you. Mm-hmm. But if, and until that period of time you just need to be the best Jew you can be and you can fill in the blank with anything as long as it's not you know horrible 
You know, it's like this is <laughs> this is like one of the most sensitive areas of F threeism, right? Yeah. It's like how can you people say to me, how can you say you're a Christian and then tolerate a Muslim, I guess, or not uh, try to evangelize a Muslim? I say, uh, it's not for me to take to turn Muslims into Christians. That's not the way I understand it. Mm-hmm. That's that's God's territory. Yeah. Now he may point me in one direction or another. But I'm not. I don't have a map on the wall, you know, of all like of all the towns in Guilford County we want to have a workout in, like with all the Muslims that I'm supposed to go. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be the best Christian I can be. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to accelerate and obey God and do what I'm supposed to do and be the best man, father, all those things. And if that has makes me a powerful witness for Christ, so be it. I know what I know what the reverse would be if I don't speak at all or I'm inconsistent, and I'm not a powerful witness at all. In fact, my witness might be counterproductive because it would cause men to see hypocrisy in what I say. And when you see hypocrisy in a man's words, then you doubt their truth, even if he, they are true. Mm-hmm. You know, so you take uh, global warming. I don't know, as I'm pretty famous for saying, I don't know if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. But when I see a guy fly a jet, a private jet, three thousand miles to, to, to to extol it, I'm like, but that doesn't seem consistent to me. Mm-hmm. Now he may real, it may be true. You know, it may be true. Mm-hmm. But if you're hypocritic in the way that you hypocritical hypocritical in the way that you preach it, well, people are gonna it casts doubt on the truth of what you're saying. Yeah. So for me, that's why I say I I am a believer. I'd be a, a liar to say otherwise. But it's not my job, my role, nor do I see it even to be proper or righteous to walk up to a guy who believes otherwise and castigate him, tell him he's wrong. I don't see that as be true. Or to exclude him. Because mm-hmm. I've had guys in there for you say, well, I don't understand why we're living faith systems, other faith systems. And of course we are. I mean, how are you? If you believe, if you believe in what I believe, which is the Great Commission of, of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you got to get next to the guy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Peter at the call of the centurion went to the centurion's house and has a dream where he's supposed to eat all this stuff that he's always told his Jew not to eat, and he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he sits down with Cornelius at the dinner table and eats all that stuff. Yeah. If he doesn't do that, how's it going to happen, right? Yeah. So why when I, you know, walk around, it's usually the richest neighborhoods in Charlotte, you know, where the wealthy really live, you see the signs that people put in the yard that say, no haters. Haters not welcome here. Not, you know, blah, blah. I'm like, I want to put a sign on my yard that says, haters... Haters primarily welcome. How else are you gonna, you know, if if I'm just inviting in the people that agree, what impact am I having? I wanna talk to the people that I don't, I disagree with. That's why in my little disclaimer, I said, if if you wanna disagree with me, please contact me. Yeah. I mean, if it's great when people call me up and say, wow, I heard you say that thing, I'm like, yeah, I'm honored. But that's not really the guys I think I'm sent to help, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, of course haters are welcome. And by hater, I just mean a disagreeer, because I think that's what people mean by that sign, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you heard my remarks about global warming, and you're like, oh, you want to get my mind right? Get my mind right. Mm-hmm. I can give you a list of five guys who spent a lot of time trying to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm persuadable. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to know what the temperature was in Charlotte in, say, 1850 or 1750 mm-hmm. and 1650, that'd be helpful. Because <laughs> if you can't, it's going to be tough <laughs> to convince me. But if you do, that'd be great. That's where you probably should start. Oh man! All right. Well, Dred, thank you very much. Yeah, bro. This this has been this has been fantastic. Oh, I'm honored to hear you say that. Yeah. Just to just to hear the story and uh, kind of venture on a few paths there. Um, before we before we close it out. Now now's your moment. <laughs> <laughs> closing thoughts. Yeah. What closing thoughts do you have? Oh, you mean other than the, the other than everything? The 60 minutes of blather. <laughs> That I already that I already said. Yeah. All right. So I guess uh, I'll close it out just by um, trying to encapsulate encapsulate the analogy we use in the Q source, which is that uh, one way to look at the life of a man is like a boat in a in a river, a swift moving river, right? So you start out your life and you get it in the water, and you know you're supposed to. Generally, I have the idea that you're supposed to get your boat to the other side, and that's going to take some hard rowing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get buffeted by the current. There's going to be logs and stuff in there. It might knock you over. And, you know, most of us, our boat's capsized. And after our boat's capsized, you know, we're in the water hanging onto the boat, but we're just going wherever the boat, you know, sends us. Yeah. Uh, that's that's sad clown, sand cloud syndrome. 
you know, that's just that's just living out each day, trying to get to the end, not knowing why you're doing it, um, hoping people don't really notice that you're not in the boat and you ain't rowing, and um, that's a pretty sad place to be. For those of us who have um, taken the DRP, the daily red pill, and begun to accelerate, our boat is moving. It ain't easy. Every day you got to row. You, you know, any day you stop rowing, there's a day when the current might overtake you. Um, but along the way, you're going to see other men in the in the river, right? You're rowing hard, but there's other men in the river hanging on their boats, clinging on. Our job is to stop and help them flip that boat over. I mean, that's that's really as simple as it is. Yeah. And then once you got some men with their boats flipped over and they're rowing, then our job as leaders is to figure out the best path to take to get to the other side where we're supposed to be, uh, on the other side, on that bank, on that far bank. Mm -hmm. That's that is where we'll be. That be our legacy, and that's what we're called to do. So. Um, I use that analogy in my own mind um, when I'm going through the flux, you know, the inconsistencies, the times when my heart is low or I feel like it's not worth it. I just remember that I just got to keep rowing. Mm -hmm. You know, I just got to keep rowing. That's why I'm here. So I um, hope that helps, guys, that image, guys. And I would say to, uh, I would say to you, my friend, you just keep rowing your boat. <laughs> and you, you keep yanking guys out of the water, man. Yeah. That's great. All right, brother. Thanks. All right. Well, with that, we'll close out episode 24. Dread, thanks again. Hi, bro. Honored. All right. Stay sharp, guys. See you in the glue. All right, man. Oh, oh, uh, that was pretty long. That was okay. Okay. How long was it? Do you have that? Thanks for listening to this episode of American Yammer. If you're interested in sharing your F3 story, reach out to us at f3americanyammer at gmail.com. Again, that's f3americanyammer at gmail.com or on Twitter at f3americanyammer. Until next time, stay sharp, and we'll see you in the gloom. <laughs>